I, um, I have these little slips of paper in my car. And you get them from McDonald's. I don't think they're doing them anymore, but you get them when you peel off from the cup, don't you? And the reality is most of us, have we've probably thrown away the really valuable one that gets us a free car or a house or something. Why do we throw it away? Because we throw it away in favor of the free cheeseburger. We do. So I have these little slivers of paper. I have two free cheeseburgers and a free small hot drink. You get a, I think when you download, this isn't an advert for McDonald's, there are other... There are other fast food outlets that will create heart disease as much as McDonald's will. Um, but I think you get a free cheeseburger when you download and register for their app. We love our, is it Bogo or Bogo? You see, in England, we say bog off. Which also has a very different connotation. Um, but bog off is buy one, get one free. Here, is it bo... Someone help me. Bogo or bogo? Bogo. Bogo. Buy one, get one. We love a freebie. We, we, we see enticements everywhere, every single week. We get, and we love the fact that we get all these, these paper, newspapers that have all the adverts in them and everything because they make incredible fire lighters for our wood fire. It's a blessing, I tell you. But we get all these enticements everywhere, don't we? I, I look for the, the BOGO when I go to get shampoo and conditioner. Buy one, get one free, because you get a shampoo and you'll get a conditioner as well. It's awesome. You know, I've heard that people leave church because a church started charging for coffee. You see, that happens when we want someone else to pay for what we expect for free. We do love a giveaway, a freebie. There are, there are, there are websites for getting freebies. And we, we love to fool ourselves into thinking that we are getting something for nothing. There is nothing for nothing. There's always a cost. You see, I want to lose some weight. But I want to lose the weight by not going to the gym and by eating exactly the same as I've always done. We know that that doesn't happen. There's a cost. We want to expend or spend the least to get the most. We look for a bargain. We travel round for a bargain. Here's the problem. We often take that attitude into the kingdom of heaven. What is the most that we can get for the least? Now, let me say before I go any further, that we have already received the most for the least. We've received the gift of God's love, which was Jesus' sacrifice in exchange for our Sin. It doesn't get any bigger than that. God's grace. We don't have to buy God's love. We just have to accept it. And today, I want us to think on the title, There is a Cost, within the bigger theme, The Aroma of Worship. 
The question is not what do the question sorry, the question is not do we worship? Everyone worships something. The real question is what do we worship? We were created to worship. God created us with this desire to worship. And that desire to worship has been corrupted within us. But we will worship. We worship work. You see, before I go on to this list, the list I'm about to give, most of it is not bad. Most of it is actually very good things that we do, except when we worship. We worship work. We worship security, financial security. We worship sport. We worship family. We, some people worship their vehicle. We worship social media. We worship the concept of individualism. We worship my brand of politics. We worship self. You see, we've been conditioned to think that an idol is something, a little, a little carved image or something that's put in the corner of a room or what that religion over there has. But you see... Worship is what we put in the place of God. And what I mean by that is we trust that, or we make that thing or that person our priority. And it doesn't mean to say that we forget God or disregard Him. It just means that we put that thing above God. For me, in my past, it was sport and it was girls. That's the thing or the things that I placed in, in, as priority in my life. So it's not worship that's the issue. It's the direction of our worship. Because what we focus on is the direction we will head in. You go where you look. And today we're looking at the cost of our worship. And I'm not going to plumb. We, we have two weeks where we're going to look at worship. And maybe next year, in the rhythm of our preaching, we may go into it in a bit more depth. But I'm not going to plumb the depths of the theology of worship in half an hour. But I do, I do want us to get below the surface and challenge ourselves and challenge our thinking. And also maybe go away and study more ourselves. The two most used words in the old, both the Old and the New Testament, Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, for worship, are actually associated with a physical action. One is to prostrate, to lie down or to kneel down and place our heads lower. This. That's one of the main meanings of worship. The other one is to minister to or to serve in some way. Now I know the Bible shows us that worship is not singing, but it very clearly does say that singing is an expression of our worship. And it also very clearly states that physical responses are used and called for in worship to lift our hands, to clap our hands, to lift our voices, to weep, to bow down. So, 
Why do we, as followers of Jesus, worship? We worship because, as I've said, we were created to worship. But also, as we worship, as we sing in worship particularly, but as we minister, as we bow down, whether it's physically or other areas, it will bring a focus to God. We will point people in the direction of our worship. And then, because of that, we lead people into an encounter with our God. Worship is bigger than singing some songs, but we worship, when we worship, the Bible tells us that singing is one of the main expressions of our worship. And as we worship, as we sing, as music is played, with or without words, we become more aware of the presence of God. You see, we don't invite God to this place. We don't beg God to this place. We don't have to ask him to come to this place. He's already here. His promise is that where two or three are gathered in his name, and we are gathered in his name much more than that, he is there, right in the middle. What we need is not God's presence, because God's presence is already here. What we need is an awareness of God's presence. We need to become more aware. And as we sing, as we worship, as we use physical responses to God, He makes us more aware of His presence. We lead people into an encounter with a loving, forgiving, merciful, justice-bringing God. And we bring an atmosphere. When we worship, we bring an atmosphere of unity. If you were here the last time I talked about singing, studies have, studies have been made, I think it was the study was in Sweden, the University of Gothenburg, where they, they studied people's response, they wired people up to heart monitors or a choir, and as they sang, their hearts began to come into sync with each other. Because singing, there's a rhythm to singing, obviously. And we breathe in and we breathe out and we sing, we respond, and people's hearts begin to sink. We become unified. We bring an atmosphere of unity. We bring an atmosphere of passion. There is something about passionate worship that brings people in. We bring, as we particularly, I guess, sing words, we bring an atmosphere of faith. Songs that talk about what we're doing, what God has done, lead us to that place where we begin to have faith in Him. See, in worship from love, not fear, requires faith. We don't worship a God out of fear. We worship a God out of love because He first loved us. It requires faith to know that God is good, that God loves me, that God is bigger than my circumstances. Jesus said, take heart. I've overcome the world. See, what you're facing right now, maybe as you go back out there, as you're facing mental health issues, physical health issues, financial worries, relationship breakdown, the usual suspects of life, God says, take heart. 
Fill your heart with courage because I have overcome the world. And we sing songs of faith to help us get to that place. And I want to give quickly two accounts of the cost of worship. Both are quite well known, I guess, within Christian circles. Two accounts actually start with dishonoring, but end up in worship. David dishonors God, then out of that comes worship. The Pharisees dishonor Jesus, but Mary honors him and worships him. Yet again, we read of King David, who in the New Testament is said he was a man after God's own heart. When you read the Old Testament, it's like, what? Which gives hope for us. It really does, because this guy screwed up a lot. Yet he was still a man after God's own heart. There was a time when pride in what he'd accomplished and ambition for his military might took over David. And the result was God said, I am going to punish you. You have the choice. You know, as a parent, where you, you say to your kid occasionally, you've done something wrong. How do you want to be punished? You ever done that as a parent? Maybe it's just me then. And that's what God said to David. Here's your choice. What are you going to take? And God, David said, I'll choose this. I'd rather choose, I'd rather choose punishment from you, God, than God was going to use another nation to punish him. And people died. And this is the result. 2 Samuel 24, let me read it to us. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. This was God speaking through a man named Gad. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. When Aruna looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to this servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and here are the threshing sledges and the ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Aruna, gives all this to the king. Aruna also said to him, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Aruna, and this is where you might have heard, or the phrase that you might have heard. No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered his prayer on behalf of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. I will not sacrifice that which has cost me nothing. You see, David had to bring a sacrifice at the time. Worship demands a sacrifice. It demands something of us. The problem is, is David becomes the hero of this story for this saying. We've remembered his words and used them to inspire us into places of worship. But the problem was he was just trying to recover from yet another situation he had screwed up in. And I actually don't think he was the real hero of the story. 
What about the other guy, the guy who I'm sure I pronounce his name wrong, Aruna? See, when we look at him, he was the one that was prepared to make the real sacrifice. He was prepared to make and pay the cost of worship. Let the Lord, my king, take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are the oxen. He gave or he was about to give the king everything. You see, what he was offering David was worth far more to him than it was to David. It was pocket change to David, but it was Aruna's livelihood and life. And this is when David responded with the words, I will not sacrifice that which has cost me nothing. I don't want to make my free worship to God. There is, needs to be a cost to my worship, is what David was saying. But Aruna had already shown that he was willing to give up everything for David to be able to sacrifice and to worship. Now, that is paying the cost. I wonder, it doesn't say it here, but as I read this, I wondered if Aruna's willingness to pay the cost and sacrifice actually challenged and inspired David's words. But in that moment, David submitted himself to God in his worship. There's a cost to worship. John 12, 1 to 6. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance or the aroma of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. See, the perfume, when you think about it in today's day and age, was a year's wages. I tried to look what the average wage is in Saskatoon. I had lots of different figures, but it's somewhere between 48,000 and 64. Now, for a bottle of perfume, it doesn't matter whether it's 48,000 or 64,000. That's a lot of money. If it's not to you, come and see me later. That's fine. We'll talk about that. But that's a lot of money. It's a serious investment for someone's feet. I'm not going to ask for hands, but how many of you have had a pedicure and you've been prepared to pay $48,000? Not many of you. I don't even think the people online would be able to do that. See, worship requires the cost of submitting oneself. John 3 verse 30 says, He becomes greater and I become less. And Mary lowered herself. She prostrated herself. She took herself down to Jesus' feet, which signifies submission. And as I said before, one of the words for worship is to prostrate oneself, a physical act. Yet how often do we have trouble raising our hands, never mind going down on our knees to child's pose? She unbound her hair. You know, this is another 
another intimate. It, it, it's an incredible thing because as she unbound her hair, women would do this in moments of intimacy with their husband. So unbraiding her hair would signify this moment of intimacy with Jesus. That's what Mary was doing right at this moment as she, she took her perfume and she broke it so that there was no way. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. It's the same with the perfume. She broke the bottle and wiped his feet with her hair. This moment of submission, this moment of intimacy which required her complete vulnerability before Jesus. See, worship without fear requires opening up ourselves to a place of vulnerability. And both of these people experienced the products of worship. What are the products of worship? Unfortunately, criticism. People will criticize, and they did criticize, the cost of Mary's worship. As, the, 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 as Jesus told the story the parable of the prodigal, the elder son criticized the cost that the father bestowed on the son as he came home. The extravagance of our worship. Mary was criticized for the amount that she gave. David received criticism, not in this account, but in another account. When the Ark of the Covenant, this this thing that symbolized God's presence was brought back to his city, he began to dance. And his wife was looking out and she had, she had a hard heart. She said, look at you dancing in front of the servant girls. He danced extravagantly. She forgot that he was paying a price for worship. She, she forgot how much David paid for her. Do you know how much David paid for her? 200 foreskins. Just leave that out there. She told David that he looked like a fool. She criticized his worship. And sometimes people will not understand. You keep your religion to yourself. Why do you put your hands in the air? What do you give to the church? It's stupid. Despite the fact that we love our freebies, we cannot bring that way of thinking into our worship. There is a cost. It is the cost of submission. It is the cost of vulnerability. And it is the cost of extravagance. Maybe today you don't feel that you can worship because of previous sin. What you have done or maybe even what has been done to you. But you know what? Here's the amazing thing. God doesn't waste a thing. See, at the end of this account with Mary, it says that this act will be told for generations. I'm standing here preaching about Mary because she made a sacrifice. She didn't think, do you know what? I think what I'll do today, I'm going to get up and I'm going to take my really expensive perfume and I'm going to actually set an example and, and maybe even just... Do something as an object lesson that will be told by preachers forever. No, no. She just said, Jesus, I want to worship you. Doesn't say whether she felt like it. 
It doesn't say whether she'd had a bad day with her sister Martha. She just loved Jesus. And she wanted to express that thing. Mary's story has been told in every place where the good news of Jesus has been told. She became an example of the cost of worship right through generations. I love the bit, it says the fragrance of the perfume filled that house. As we worship, and some of you here, as you worship, it's going to be a sacrifice of worship because you don't feel like it. Because everything within you says, don't worship. It's the music's not good enough. It's not my favorite hymn. It's not in the style that I want. My circumstances tell me not to worship, and you are going to worship anyway. And the fragrance, the aroma of your worship will fill this place. Here's the beautiful thing. You see, as Mary broke that bottle of perfume and she spread it on Jesus' feet. What happens with liquid when you break a bottle? It splashes. It runs. You see, Mary's sacrifice of worship, the aroma filled the house, but the aroma would have been splashing on people's clothes. As we worship together, the aroma of our sacrifice, the cost of our worship, begins to splash on people. It begins to fill their clothes. They begin to smell that. And as we leave this place, it's not just what happens here in this place. The aroma of our worship is taken into our families, into our workplaces. As we worship, as we sacrifice, as we pay the cost like Mary did, it's not about this room. It is taken from this place into our world. What's that smell? You see, some people aren't going to like it. Some people are going to criticize it. The smell of worship can be too strong for people. What's the aroma? I can smell something on you and I can't explain it. Yeah, that's my worship. We carry the aroma of worship into our world as we leave this place. It is never just about what happens here. It is what we carry into our world. David messed up. But here's what God did. He invited him back into that place of worship. Come back, David, and worship me. Yes, I know that pride had gotten in the way. But come back to me, David. And that's what I think the thing about that God loved about David wasn't that he messed up, it was that he came back. Continually he'd come back. Come back to this place of worship. God invited David back to that place of intimacy and obedience the same way that God has been inviting mankind back into that place of intimacy and vulnerability since we sinned in the Garden of Eden and tried to cover our vulnerability from him. He went looking for Adam and Eve in the garden and invited them 
back into the place of vulnerability and intimacy. But here's the amazing thing about David. That site, that place of worship that David bought, that David paid the cost for, was the very site that became, later became the temple that Solomon built. You see, that site was part of God's bigger plan. It started as a place of worship, but ended up as the place of worship, the temple. God works all things together, even our screw-ups, even our mess-ups, even those that have sinned against us, and we hold that and the abuse that's happened to us. God redeems it as we hand it over to Him as our sacrifice if we are willing to pay the cost of worship. You know, this church is a fairly easy place to worship. But our worship is not defined by comfort, it is defined by cost. Yes, I know there's the inconvenience, greater for some people than others, of having the snow, but it doesn't really cost us that much. Remember a while back, in our previous church, I heard that a husband and wife, actually a family, had decided they were going to travel from another city because they, were, they wanted to be part of the church. The thing was, it was a two-hour drive each way. But they were prepared to pay the cost of being in a worship environment. There's a cost. There's no free freebies. There's no buy one, get one. And worship is not about whether you feel it. We will feel the presence of God, but worship is not about feeling the presence of God. Often, the presence of God is the response to our worship. It's not about whether you have shivers down your spine with Darcy plays a really nice lead lick on the guitar. What if your cost is that you feel nothing? We can look around and we can be overcome with jealousy or, or even open our hearts to criticism when we see other people worshipping more extravagantly than we do. We don't worship because we feel like it. We worship because Jesus is worth it. There is a cost. Part of that cost is submission, being obedient. I love this quote from one of the archbishops of Canterbury many, many years ago, William Temple. He says this, Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of our heart to His love, the surrender of will to His purpose. And all of this gathered up in adoration. The most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. It is worship, but there is a cost. The cost is a cost of submission. It is a cost of intimacy that comes from vulnerability. It is the cost of extravagance which opens us to criticism. We offer ourselves to God, everything about us. Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, or everything that is natural, physical, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
We offer ourselves bodily as we worship. Our time, our emotions, our physicality. There is no more, oh, that's just not me. That's not my personality. Worship has nothing to do with personality. It has everything to do with Jesus. Stephen Furtick said, Worship means the most when you feel it the least. I fully believe that we are called to be a house that resounds with the sound of heaven. Singing comes from worship, our place of worship, when there is a cost and a direction. And that direction is towards God. Will we determine like Aruna and Mary and to some lesser extent David to offer that which may cost us something or everything? Will we submit our will to the will of God? Will we be vulnerable that leads to intimacy? Will we be willing to look like fools? This house, this church, this home will not just have beautiful music, but heartfelt praise and worship. And maybe today you don't feel like worshiping because of your circumstances. Maybe you don't put your hands in the air because that's not what you do. Maybe you need to kneel in submission or even come down the front in a few moments and kneel in worship. Offer our bodies in this act of worship. Maybe you've felt you've never felt anything and have chosen not to worship because of feeling. Submit and be obedient. Maybe at times you've never even sung your own words in a song. Just the words that we sing up here. Maybe for you it's time that you express what's in your heart to God in your own words. Be vulnerable. Don't use the excuse, well, that's just not me. Submit. Be vulnerable. Be extravagant. I'd love for the team to actually come back on now. There is a cost to worship that goes way beyond singing a song. When we pray, when we pay the cost of worship, it will bring focus to God and the aroma of worship will linger on us as we go into our world. When we pay the cost of worship, God takes it, redeems it, and uses it for his purpose. Let me finish with this psalm. It's a psalm of a heart crying out in worship, a heart that is not joyful. So it's a song of sacrifice. It's, song, it's sung in submission. It's sung in intimacy and vulnerability. Yet it is a song of extravagance. As the deer pants for streams of water, so... My soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why, why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep, calls to deep. 
In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with, with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony. As my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that each of us will be challenged. Challenge to submission, challenge to vulnerability and intimacy, challenge to extravagance in our worship. I'd love for us just to keep our heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a moment. You know, one of the things that we do every single service like this is give people an opportunity to make their peace with God. To invite people into that place of relationship with Jesus, whether it's for the first time, or whether it's a coming back into relationship, like the prodigal did. The prodigal, it says in that, that parable, he came to his right mind, and maybe that's you. You've been away, but you've come to your right mind. You've realized, I was so much better off back in relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're a younger person that's grown up in church. And your faith relationship has been under the umbrella of your carers, your parents, or whoever. But today, God is calling you to himself, saying, you are mine, you are chosen, you are loved, you are forgiven. If you're in any of those three groups, I'd love, in a moment, I'd love for you to just put your hand in the air, and we're going to pray together a simple prayer. And you're saying to God, I ask for forgiveness of my sin. I ask to come into relationship with you for the first time or come back into relationship with you. And I want to be part of your family. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if I'm speaking to you, you're saying yes to Jesus, to forgiveness from the past, life in the present, and a hope for your future. All I want you to do, just for a moment, just stick your hand in the air so I can see it. There'll be one or two people that might point you out to me. You're saying yes to Jesus, yes to his love, his grace, his forgiveness. If you're online, you can just hit one of the saying yes buttons and ask for prayer. Who in this room is going to say yes to Jesus right now? Forgiveness from the past, life in the present, and a hope for, his future, for your future. Okay, we're going to pray a simple prayer together. And at the end of that prayer, we celebrate every single decision that's made because we're essentially just joining with heaven right now. So let's pray. Dear God, I come to you now a sinner. Have mercy on me. Jesus, I thank you for the life that you gave. And I take hold of the life that you give. And from this moment forward, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, church. Why don't we celebrate? As we do that, why don't we stand to our feet? The team are going to lead us in worship. Can I encourage you? Stand to your feet in worship. Submit, be vulnerable, be intimate, be extravagant.